get a one of these. <laughs> so, you know, it's like something you can suck in your head. But I'm like saying, exactly. For most people, it's like whatever. But if I live to do this, I can throw myself completely off. Like, I mean, like, there's a tank. But yeah, but it's
invite you to return to your seat. Welcome to those of you who are online and joining us. Thanks for joining us in that way and participating in the, this part of the service. Um, I've got a number of announcements before we get to our other things. Um, so just bear with me for a few moments here. We have a semi-annual meeting coming up uh, in a couple of weeks on Wednesday, November 23rd. So we'll be here at the church. We will uh, offer it online for those who prefer that as well. So we'll do a hybrid, hybrid one. So you know, semi-annual meeting is one of those things where if you're part of the family, sometimes you do the dishes, right? And so sometimes it's just we approve minutes and, and we uh, make sure finances are on track and we and on track and we offer some updates. But we will also be offering updates in particular on home mission. Uh, we have a number of new ones to, to bring forward to the congregation and, and let you know about. So that'll be a good conversation that we will have. So you will want to be here for that. We will probably do some other things there as well. Um, but again, this is part of being a family. So, so come be part of the family on Wednesday, November the 23rd. Secondly, as you probably know, every year around this time, we start an Angel Tree project. And so Angel Tree, in case those of you maybe online, I don't know who's online, but for those of you maybe who haven't heard of this, it's, it's a program that provides a way for parents who are currently incarcerated, so they've committed crime and they are in prison in some way, and uh, are not able to give gifts to their children directly, can go through the Angel Care program or Angel Tree program. And so the, the volunteers purchase gifts for um, the kids and then actually go and distribute them. Um, and so that way the parent is able to give a gift to the, to the child through us. And so every year we raise money for this, but then we also find volunteers for it as well. So starting with the money side of it, um, the council has approved this once again as a special project. It is the only one we have on right now. So if you mark your offering envelope special project, it will go towards Angel Tree. Or if you give online with Click Pay and you want to do that as well, you just select one of the drop down menus um, for our forgiving is for special projects and it will go towards Angel Tree. So that is open for giving from now for the next couple of weeks. I think it's still about December 11th or so. So please feel free to give to that. Every year you've been very generous. We often have money carry over from one year to the next, but we do need some for this year to make sure that gifts happen for these kids. So please do give for that. In two weeks time, we are gonna make sure that the leaves leave the stage and we're going to do some decorating here for Christmas time. Okay, so we're going to do a potluck slash Christmas decorating at the same time. So two weeks time, come prepare to stay after the service so that we can get some decorating done around here and so that we can have some more time just to be together and enjoy food and one another's company. So would you come for that in two weeks time? Lastly, the group that, that Noah has started running, Noah Kaji has started running on Sunday nights. Uh, in a few weeks time, we're going to be heading out to the streets and sharing the good news of Jesus and praying for people and so on. And one of the things that we would like to do is also distribute hats and coats and gloves and that kind of thing, which means that we'll need some donations for that. So if you have extras or you'd like to go purchase some, if you could bring them and get them our way, get them either here to the church or directly to the Kajus, then we will have something to... Um, demonstrate the love of Jesus and, and offer sort of a, a way of saying, hey, um, let's continue this conversation and, and are you in need and would you like this and so on. So um, we're going to be doing that in just a couple of weeks time. So please feel free to give to that in the next few weeks as you're doing some of your Christmas shopping or cleaning out around the house. 
lastly. Um, you may not know this, but there's sort of like a quiet revolution that's happening around here um, in downstairs specifically. Um, during our council meeting earlier this week, I, I'm sharing with the council just all the good stories of the ways that God has been at work in the congregation just in the last month. And I had a whole list of them. It, it was fantastic. And then Kristen Diagra piped up and said, and that's only upstairs. It was really cool because then she started sharing about the way that God is moving downstairs as well. And um, it turns out that what Kristen has started doing is actually starting to, she's starting to equip some of the, the, the older ones of the, the kids who are downstairs to start leading their peers in scripture and prayer and interacting with God. And uh, she first had her own daughter, Ellie, do that a couple of weeks ago. It went quite well. And this morning, actually, my son is doing it. So she is she's teaching them how to take the scriptures to their kids, to their peers, and then say, let's enter into this story. So they read the story a couple of times. And then they, they say, let's enter into this story. Let's ask the Lord to show us important things from this story. And then let's listen for what God wants to tell us about this story for each other. They're learning to read the scriptures, share the scriptures with their peers, and listen for God's voice as 12-year-olds and 10-year-olds. It, it's something really, really special that's happening. So this morning, as, as I pray, I'm not only going to be praying for what we do here, but for what they do downstairs, because it is probably more important, to be honest, equally or more important. Okay. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so, so much for your word. It is so precious. Where would we be without your word? Where would we be if we did not have the, the word of life? This testimony of who Jesus is. Where would we be without something to measure truth by? Where would we be if we were if you had not revealed who you are? We'd be lost. Thank you so, so much for your word. And Lord, where would we be if you had not given us your spirit to help us understand your word? Where would we be if you had not given your son? to make it so that we could receive your spirit and understand your word, to be reconciled to the Father. Where would we be if you had not given of yourself and revealed yourself over and over and over again? All we can do is say thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your plan of salvation. Thank you that you are constantly looking at how to bring people closer to you and how to share the good things that you have for us with others. Lord, would you make us people who inhabit the word and in whom the word inhabits? 
Lord, would you, would you make us people who will take what you have given and bless others with it because you change us. Lord, change us this morning. Lord, this morning, as the good news is shared downstairs, would you guide and equip them so that people see you and hear you and lives are transformed? Would you do that for us up here as we open your word, as we go to passages that are both beautiful and challenging? Would you be that beautiful mixture of beauty and challenge to us so that we do not remain the same having looked at your word and having heard from you? Lord, may everything this morning be a reflection of you, not of me or of us. Thank you. Thank you for our time together. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. If you watch sitcoms, this probably doesn't apply, but if you watch television shows that have a little bit more of a plot, you know that the opening episodes in a new series are always the most important, right? They set the tone for what's going to happen. They, they set the, the major plot lines and the major characters, and, and they set up the entire storyline for what is to come, right? Um, think of the show The 100. Uh, and if you watch this, it's this, this sci-fi show in the future. There's a whole, um, Earth, Earth was pretty much like destroyed in some place. Everyone's out in outer space, but they want to repopulate the planet. So they send down a hundred new people, a hundred teenagers to go and deal with it as their experiment, right? And if, if you miss the opening couple of episodes, you miss so much of it that it's very hard to drop down in subsequent episodes. Now, um, of course, television makers, uh, TV show makers, now they, they offer those recaps at the beginning. But the whole point is that in the beginning, those opening couple of episodes are incredibly important to what happens after that, right? You see this in the Psalms, actually. Those first two Psalms set the stage for everything that, that happens after within the psalm, you, the psalm, the psalm book. You almost read the rest of them through Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. They're like a gateway. They're like the two posts of a door that you will walk through. It's the same here in John. We have two episodes at the very beginning of John that set the stage for everything that happens after. And these two are different than everything that happens after. In fact, if you have a red-letter Bible, just look at this chapter, chapter 2, versus the other ones. Do you notice Jesus hardly says anything in these first two? And then after this, if you actually flip forward, most of John then is read. Just over Jesus just talks and talks and talks. These two episodes are different, and they set us up for what's to come. It's very important. Now, John... If, if you've been reading your Gospels, John looks very, very different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And those differences are very important. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are almost like siblings. People have told me over and over again, unfortunately, that my, my brother and sister and I all look alike. I don't necessarily appreciate that, but they see a family resemblance, right? John looks different. John is almost like a cousin. 
I have a cousin that's the same age as me. We grew up together. People told, told us, there, oh, you guys are cousins? Yeah, I can sort of see that for some months. Whereas they put me next to my brother and they're like, you two are brothers, right? Like there's just, there's family differences, but then similarities as well, right? And John is the same. John is sort of like the cousin, right? Matthew, Mark, and Luke all look very much the same. John looks very, very different. And those differences are going to be incredibly important. In, in the Gospel of John, we, we see very different things than what we see in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But then there are times where John will tell the same story, but he will tell it differently than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we're going to pay attention to those differences. So today's um, passage is one of the few times in this gospel where we actually see something that overlaps with Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But there are differences. John's telling a different story. And it's going to be important. You'll notice that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when Jesus goes into the temple and drives people out, it comes at the very end. It's right before Passover. It's right before the Last Supper. It's right before his crucifixion. John has it right here at the beginning. Okay? That's just the first of many differences here. But what Jesus says and what John follows it up with is also quite different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke... Um, when Jesus is speaking in the temple, he will say, um, get these things out of here. You have made this place. My father's house is supposed to be a house of prayer. So their focus is going to be on prayer. You have made it a den of robbers, which actually means more like terrorists. Um, you, you become nationalistic. That's, what he's, that's the road he's going down. I'm not going to get into that now. John says something different. In, in Jesus, in, in John, Jesus says something different. It's not a contradiction. Jesus probably said more than one thing as he went into the temple in this particular episode. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke focus on one element because that's part of their purposes. John's going to focus on other elements because he has a different purpose. Okay? Now, if you can keep these things in mind, I'm going to read both the passage we read last week, first episode, and, and then today's episode as well, in the temple, and we will go from there. I'm going to be in the NIV, because I find it a little easier, um, but you can follow along with whatever you've got in front of you. We're going to start in John chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana, in Galilee. Jesus' Jesus's mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. So they did. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first. Then the cheaper wine, after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best until now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of his signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. 
After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples, and they stayed for a few days. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip of cords, and he drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into, now this says, your translation, this one says market. Um, in Greek, it's a house of business. Stop turning my father's house into a different kind of house, a house of business. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Then the Jews responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it in three days. They replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scriptures and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing, and they believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. This is the word of the Lord. Yes, speak God. I'd like to explain some Greek to you for a moment, because um, it doesn't come out in the English. In this passage, there are three different words used for the temple, um, but in, in most of your translations, it always says temple. It will say house, so house being a temple, right? So that comes out in the English, but the other places it's not. So at the beginning here, uh, the beginning of this, it says that Jesus walked into the temple, and in Greek, it's the normal word for temple. And in the temple area, he drove out these people and these things, right? The oxen, sheep, and cattle, and all that. It still says temple there. But then the conversation turns to house. And you see that in English, right? Stop making my father's house a house of business. Zeal for your house will consume me. So we've gone from temple to house. Okay? And then the conversation that follows after that, Jesus changes the word in Greek. It doesn't come out in your English translations, unfortunately. Um, the, the word, however, is the word sanctuary. I don't know why we don't put it in English, but it hasn't shown up in the English translations. I looked at it at least. But from there on out, Jesus talks about sanctuary. So if you look at verse 19, and they ask him, what, by what authority are you doing these things? He says, destroy this sanctuary, and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews replied, it took 46 years to build this sanctuary. But he was speaking about the sanctuary of his body. What's the difference between a temple and a sanctuary? What's the difference between a church building and a sanctuary? Exactly. Sanctuary is part of the building. The most important part. 
in temple. In a, in a temple, just like in a, a church building here, the, the sanctuary is where not only the worship happens, but, but in particular, in their thinking, in the temple, the, the sanctuary is the place of God's presence. That, that's why the language of house is used, right? Don't make my father's house into a house of something else. The, the focus of, of this, where John is going, have to do with where the presence is. Where is the presence of God? And what is there in its place? See, the, this, the temple was always meant not so much to be a worship space as to be a place where the presence of God dwelt among his people. And people thereby, because of that, then went to go worship. We go to worship at the temple because God is there, and it's his house. It's the place where he lives. They, the Jewish people were always supposed to be a people of the presence of God. They were always supposed to be going to the presence of God. The temple was always supposed to be thought of as a place where God's presence was in particular. Yes, God is everywhere. We've covered that before, right? And we live and move and have our being, right? God is everywhere. But in particular, he's in the temple. And yet Jesus says, something's going to happen that's going to show you that I have the authority to shut down this place. And what is it? He uses a pun, right? John's full of puns. Destroy this sanctuary, and in three days I'll raise it up. But he's talking about, as John explains, he's talking about the sanctuary of his body. Meaning you, you may knock this thing down, but I am going to rebuild it and will show you that I have the authority over this place. Because I, in particular, Jesus says, am the place where God's presence dwells. But then there's another pun there. He was speaking of the temple of his body and what is also the temple of his body. Not just Jesus' body, physical body, but his body. Yes, his church. Right? Jesus is shutting down an institution because the presence isn't being stewarded there properly. And he's going to put the presence in his body. He's going to, Jesus' body, so the one walking around Jerusalem, yes. But going forward, it's going to be here in this room, among you in particular. That is, that has always, always, always been the plan. The problem is, there's stuff happening in the temple. It doesn't belong there. What does he say? Stop making my father's house a house of business, marketplace. Your translation will say, this is probably an allusion to the, the last verse of Zechariah. In the very, uh, at the very end of the prophet Zechariah, 
The prophet is speaking about a time when the Lord is going to intervene among his people again, the messianic age, right? He is, he, God is going to come in power and make the things that are wrong right. He's going to pour out his presence in new ways. And the very last verse of the book of Zechariah says, and when that happens, there will no longer be any merchants, any traders in the temple. When God comes in power and moves among his people to take history forward and intervene on behalf of his people, there will no longer be merchants in the temple. That's what God is going to do, because he's going to make that place such a holy and beautiful place. But what did the people do? They shelved a prophecy. They shelved a scripture. God said, I'm going to do this. And they're like, well, that would be great when you do it. But for now, we're just going to wait and let that happen. And we're going to continue going about our business in your house where it doesn't belong. Do you, do you see a parallel with our own lives here? Or whether these are the right things or the wrong things that are happening that are happening in the wrong place in the wrong time. And God says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna change you. And we say, Well, we're gonna wait for you to change us, and we're gonna keep doing what we're doing. You see how we do that? You see how they do it first. You see how we do that too? God, you have complete freedom in my life. You can do whatever you want. And I'm going to wait for you to do it. I'm not going to change. I'm ready, God. I'm ready for you to intervene. Do whatever you want to do. Okay. But my week is going to look exactly the same until you do it. So we're not going to go wrong. But we do it. Scripture is so honest with us about the way that we are. Right? The way that I am too. Now I said that these two passages go together. The wine and the temple. Right? I would like you guys, I want this section, you guys talk. This section, you guys talk. This section, you guys talk. Those of you who are online, Mark was going to break you up into small groups. If you choose not to join a small group, you can just exit the group. Um, but you have an opportunity to have a conversation. What I would like you to do is get into groups, and I want you to notice the. I want you to look for the contrasts. So I've laid out a little bit of this passage here. Okay. What I want you to do now is look at the contrast between our passage and the previous one. So the episode with the water and the wine. Okay. Find some of the main contrasts. We'll give. I don't know, five minutes first, okay? Have some fun talking to one another. Look at the passage and just come up with some things, okay? And then in five minutes, we will come back together and we will talk about some of those contrasts, right? Have fun. I'm <laughs> <laughs>
Are we ready to come back? Dan, you Okay. So let's hear some some contrasts that you came up with. What did what did you notice about the difference between these two passages? What's John bringing out? What suggestions do you have? We noticed that in the water, it was like Jesus worked behind the scenes and just, you know, made it happen, but in a very, like, unobtrusive way. But then in the clearing of the temple, it was very evident yeah. that he was making this happen. Yes, so water and wine is behind the scenes, and in the temple is very much in your face. Yeah, no one could miss that. You're good. Else. I think Dwight just said he had something to say. <laughs> so, it happens when you volunteer other people. There was one one that jumped out of me was that uh, with the with the wedding. Um, And then, and then there's a verse later on down below that it says, as he was in Jerusalem, many came to believe in the bite of And and I saw that the, the common people at the wedding were were impressed with what he did. The common people in Jerusalem were impressed with what he did, but it was the spiritual leaders that were pushing back. Mm -hmm. Very good. So what Dwight noticed is that there's a lot of common people in both of these, right? There's common people at the wedding. Jesus is invited to a wedding. And it's probably because they're around the same social status level, social standing, right? So Jesus, very common person, gets invited to a common wedding, and lots of people then believe because of the sign that he shows, right? And the same happens in Jerusalem as he's, he's teaching, but not so much with the, the establishment, the Jewish leaders. They're more pushing back, right? By what authority do you do these things? And, and that's very much true. There's a contrast there between those two groups of people. The people who are following and getting what Jesus is doing, and they're following him, and, and the religious leaders are almost always against Jesus. With a footnote, I will bring out a little bit later on. Um, there's more to it than that, but yes, very good contrast. Well done. Other things, Joel? Um, we have the, the, uh, the water pots, which are something like the water and then the pure, but you just you know, build that and make something good out of it. You have the temple, which is supposed to be something pure and holy, and Jesus is leaning down. Well done. Joel's pointing out the, the contrast between the water pots in the, the wedding um, that were there for the Jewish rite of purification, right? And they need to be filled. And there's there's a temple that needs to be emptied. Well done. I'm going to come back to that. Very good. Others? Hopefully, I don't want Joe's talking about there. What's Jesus doing? What's Jesus bringing out here? 
John goes out of his way to say that these are these are pots that need to be filled, and they get filled up to the brim. John, that's what God says. Jesus says, "Fill up those pots." They're not so they're not full. Jesus filled, or the, the servants fill them up to the brim. They're described as specifically as pots for Jewish rites of purification. Jesus modifies something and fills it with something new. In, in the temple, he goes to a place that, as Joel said, it should be pure. And he finds something that is less than and he has to clear it out. And there's an emptying. In one we have a filling, and in one we have an emptying. And they always go together. You want more of God? You want more of the presence? You want you, yourself, and our, our people to be a place of God's presence? There's got to be a filling, and there has to be an emptying. They go together. And in fact, John the Baptist will bring that out in the next chapter. He must increase, I must decrease. Filling and emptying always go together. So the question is right now, where are the merchants in our lives? The things that may well still be good, but are in the wrong place. Because something new has happened. You know, the, the Jewish people needed those those merchants, they needed the sacrifice. That, that, that kept the system running, but it's in the wrong place. How much more so for things that aren't right in our lives and still have a place. But very, very often, we if we want more of God, there are even good things that need to go that we can make room for more of Him. Right? What needs to go? And what has God already identified needs to go. It's coming to mind. You know the interesting thing about this? My sense is that even, this is just a sense, I can't lay out this in a text specifically, but I, I really do believe that since these two things go together, these two episodes, even the cleansing of the temple, even the emptying is an invitation to the wedding. Because emptying and filling always go together because these two, two things have been paired, right? But if you want a little bit more evidence for that, look at the first two verses of chapter three. Most of the religious leaders come up against Jesus and say, no way. But someone sees what Jesus does at the temple and says, I want more. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says, no one, and you have to be from God because no one else could do these signs unless they were from God. He gets that even even when there's an even when there's a wedding and then there's a, a filling and there's an emptying, it's still an invitation. And he comes and he gets it. He says, I want more. And even when God starts to empty us, it's still an invitation to more of him. I'd like you to take a moment and ask the Lord 
what he is identifying out of these two passages for you. Is it the emptying? Is it the filling? Is it the, the, the things that are in the way right now, the merchants, be they good or bad, but are still in the wrong place at the wrong time as God pours out new wine? What's in the way that still needs to go in order that we might get more wine? Ask the Lord. Just take a moment, silent prayer. There's one more thing that this passage once again brings out, and it comes out in both of them. In fact, it's already been mentioned. Chapter 2, verse 11, speaking of the, the water into wine, this is the beginning of, this was the first of Jesus' signs, which he did in Cana of Galilee, and he revealed his glory, and because he did that, his disciples believed in him. Now, verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name as they observed the signs which he was doing. And then, just a few verses after that, Nicodemus says, Rabbi, we know that you come from God as a teacher, for no one could do these signs unless God was with him. He's got, he has, he's noticed that there's an invitation and he's being drawn in, but he's being drawn in by what Jesus is doing. And what Jesus is doing is demonstrating something that only God can do. And Noah Kaju has very bravely said, I want that. And I'm going to gather, gather a group of people who, who will ask the Lord to do things in us that only he can do in order that other people might believe. And I, I don't know a better example at the moment of taking scripture and taking God at his word and, and saying, I, I will have the faith that will see these things happen in us. I can't do it by myself, but I want people to believe it. I want to follow the example of Jesus. We're meeting here again, 6.30 tonight, to get some more training and asking the Lord to do the same kind of thing, that we might walk in the footsteps of Jesus in order that more people might believe. 
My, my real prayer for our church is that we not become a church of transfer growth. We become a church of growth by conversion, which, which creates um, huge challenges. But, but imagine a church where people said, you know what, I've been out on the streets, I've been talking to you, and I think this is what the Lord is saying to you right now, and it clicks for them because you heard the Lord. Or I, you're out on the streets and, and you say, you know what, I think the Lord's asked us to pray for your leg, and there's healing. And people, that's what's happening here in Scripture. Jesus hears from the Lord and speaks, and people believe. Jesus touches someone, and they're healed, and they believe. That's what Scripture's saying. Noah's taking him out of I invite you to come. It's going to be an excellent adventure. Right. Lord, we want to be a people of your presence. We want, we thank you that we are because of what you have done on the cross. Restore this temple in three days and we'll raise up this sanctuary. And your spirit, your presence will be among you. You will inhabit your temple. You will inhabit your sanctuary. And I thank you for that. I thank you that because of that, we can we can go in confidence and say the Lord will, the Lord is with us and, and he has good news for you. Would you make us people who follow Jesus doing the same things Jesus did? And Lord, would you get rid of the merchants that are in the way, in the way of us following you the way that you have asked us to follow you. So Lord, whatever it is that you have put your finger on in our lives, be it good or bad, would you reorder our lives and may we participate with you in it. May we not just invite you to come and change us, but then do nothing simply waiting for the change to happen. Would you make us people who join you in that in order that you, you accomplish what you want to accomplish with our, with our more than just our consent, but our participation? Where would you guide us in these things? Apart from you, we can do nothing. Lord, we, we want to see a world touched by Jesus through your body as you pour out your spirit. So, Lord, would you make us people who walk in Jesus' footsteps? Thank you for the example of someone who's saying, no, I believe this. Let's do it. Lord, thank you for your word. Once again, you, you challenge us to go to places that we wouldn't want to go to on our own, and we get uncomfortable, or we get scared, or we say, well, that worked, maybe that worked in Africa, but not in Red Deer, or, you know, I'd love to, but I'm really comfortable where I am. Lord, would you, would you have your way in us so that it is your way? and your will, your kingdom for your glory. Thank you. Thank you that your word challenges us to go beyond what we would be comfortable with. 
Lord, would you help us to respond well to your word in the, the time that you give us? So may it not be lost at lunch and on the ride home. Would you show us how to take what you've been saying and follow through? That you may have your way, that we may be closer in the end because we have blessed you with what you've asked for. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to continue in worship. <laughs> Thank you. 
God, would you make us uh, people where this is true in our hearts? You are what we long to worship, and uh, that we would that we would empty ourselves of the things that are are in the way of you, and uh, just things that, um, that prevent you from filling us in, in the way that you desire to, God. And uh, would you just work in our hearts and our lives as we go forward? There's a lot of fear um, around some of the things we've talked about. I can feel it. I'm not usually a feeler. Lord, would you pour out such perfect love in us? Would we do anything because of love for you? That we would lose the fear of what people think. We lose the fear of being wrong. We lose the fear of failure. We lose the fear of fill in the blank. And we lose them as we stare in the face of Jesus, who is good, and pours out new wine. Out of deep love, out of celebration over his people because all are invited to the wedding. More of you, more love for you, and it would free us from everything else. In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace and extra love this week. Blessings, my friends. Thanks for being here.